So what we're going to do when we gather here throughout the course of this weekend is we're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to look at the Bible. And specifically, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And here's what we're going to do tonight to just kind of kick things off. Um, tonight, we're going to study the Word um, I- I- in a specific kind of way. So here's how I like to describe this when I talk to people about how to study your Bible. And I hope if you know Jesus and walk with him, you are someone who studies your Bible. There are two ways, I think, to read through the Bible. And I want to describe those two ways to you tonight and tell you which way we're going to go this evening. The first way is like, I I like to describe it in this way. The first way to study your Bible is like a burrito, okay? Like a burrito. Like that's what I think about. So tonight we kind of had burritos. Maybe you went with the taco route. Maybe you went with just the bowl route. But maybe you went burrito. But this is the thing about a burrito. As you were eating it tonight, I want you to remember that when you ate that tonight, what you didn't do is you didn't pick up every single bean and be like, a very fine bean right there, right? You you didn't pick up a little piece of rice and you're like, I love the flavoring on this rice. You didn't turn a little piece of rice over in your tongue. You're like, "Mm, some of the finest I've ever had, right? You didn't do that. What'd you do? You just took the burrito, you opened your mouth as wide as you could, you ate as big as you could because you're trying to just get it all together. And the perfect bite of burrito isn't just rice or just beans or just chicken. The perfect bite of burrito has everything in it. This is one of the ways we study the Bible. One of the ways we study the Bible is we try to go through big, long passages of the Bible and just read big chunks of it so we can get the whole picture. So sometimes, when I study the Bible, I I try to sit down and read an entire book of the Bible. So I'll try to read all of Philippians in one sitting. This last summer, I challenged myself multiple times to read the entire Gospel of John in one sitting. Sometimes if I'm short on time and trying to read a lot, I'll read the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 in one sitting. I'm not trying to pick apart every word. I'm just trying to get the big picture of what God is trying to say. It's like eating a burrito. I'm not focused in on every little part. I'm just trying to get all the flavors, all of what God's saying together. That's one way to read the Word of God. But let me give you another way to read the Word of God, another way to study your Bible. That way is like fine chocolate. Now, fine chocolate is not just like a, a Snickers bar, a Kit Kat bar. This is like nice chocolate. And the point of nice chocolate, the way you're supposed to eat it, is you're supposed to take a little square, sometimes even half of one of those squares, and you're supposed to put it on your tongue and let it melt. You're supposed to enjoy every note and every flavor and how it tastes in your mouth and how it tastes after you swallow it. And you're supposed to just enjoy it a little bit and really kind of sit on that one tiny little bit. So in other words, the other way we studied the Bible is like, let's read as much scripture as possible. And this way, the fine chocolate way is like, let's take one little bit, one little sentence, one little verse, and let's think on it. Let's pick it apart. Let's focus in on one little thing. Here's what I want you to know. Tonight in our short time together, we are going to look at one verse in the Bible. We are going to look at one verse in Ephesians chapter 4, and we are going to pick it apart. We're going to think on it. We're going to see what God has to say to us as we kick off this weekend through this one little verse in the Bible. If you have the Bible with you, I want you to have it open because it's so important that you know this for yourself. But if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put this verse on the screen. And here's the verse. Here it is. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So this is it. Tonight, this is the verse we're going to talk about as we kick off our weekend, and let me tell you this, eyes right here, eyes right here, the God of the universe brought you here this weekend on purpose and for a purpose, and through this text, through this sentence, 
He has something to say to every single one of us tonight. And the only question that matters is whether or not you will have the ears to hear it. So let's jump into this. Let's pick this apart bit by bit. It begins with these words. It says, so I tell you this. So let's pick up a little bit. Who's the I here? That the I is the author of this book, the book of Ephesians, and the I is a guy named Paul. Now, if you grew up in church, you heard about Paul, but if you didn't really grow up in church, or you're kind of not sure about the whole Bible thing, or you're not even sure you believe the Bible, let me tell you about Paul, because his story is a crazy story. Paul is a guy who, for most of his adult life, hated Christians. Like, I want you to know that like, people start following Jesus and they start serving him and following after him and the church starts growing and this guy named Paul hates what Christians are doing. He thinks they're wrong. He thinks they're offensive. He thinks what they're doing is bad. And so here's what Paul does. Paul sets out on the course of his life to harm and discriminate against and hurt and injure and throw in prison and ultimately murder Christians. Like, this is the story of Paul. Paul is not a good guy. Paul is a bad guy. Paul is doing bad things. Paul is a wicked man who is harming people in the name of his religion. This is who Paul is. Paul is a wicked man. And then here's how the story goes. It says that Paul was going down a road one day, and he was actually going to a church gathering. Just like this. And his idea was this. I'm going to go into the church gathering, and I'm going to round them up one by one. I'm going to throw them in prison. And if I have the opportunity, I'm going to kill them. And so he's going down the road to the church gathering so that he can imprison and maybe even kill some of these Christians. And as he's walking down the road, here's what happens to Paul. It's the same thing that happened to me when I was your age. Jesus met him. Like along the road, Jesus meets him, and it changes his whole life. He sees Jesus for who he is, and he goes from the person who's trying to murder Christians to the person who becomes a Christian. Like in that moment, his whole life turns around. And then he starts telling people about Jesus. He starts starting churches, planting churches. He starts teaching the Bible. He becomes a Christian who helps other people become Christians. It's a remarkable story of what happens in Paul's life. It's like Paul is going this way toward evil and wickedness and violence and bad ways. And it's like the God of the universe looked at Paul and said, I'm not done with you yet. I have different plans for your life. And here's what's so crazy. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The God of the universe looked at a sinner like Paul, who was wicked and violent and evil, who has murdered people. Like, I don't know what you've done in your life, but I'm guessing you haven't murdered people. And God looks at Paul, who has murdered people, and here's the coolest news about this whole story. He looks at Paul and goes, I'm not done with you yet. I have not given up on you. I have not given up on you, Paul. I am not done with you, Paul. I have plans for your life. And you want, to, you want to know why this is just the coolest thing in the universe? Because if God is not done with a sinner like Paul, then God is not done with a sinner like you. And God is not done with a sinner like me. Meaning whatever I've done in my life, wherever I've gone, whatever wickedness and evil and sin and bad things I've done in my life, God doesn't give up on me. God is not done with me. God has not forsaken me. God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And the same is true for you. Like, here's the crazy thing. Wherever you've been and whatever you've done, God has a plan for you. He's not done with you. It's like this. So many years ago, I was up at a winter camp 
just like this. And uh, I brought up uh, many, many students. And one of the students who came along was a girl who had never really been to a church camp before. In fact, she didn't grow up in church at all. In fact, it wasn't just that. She was the girl at her high school who no one thought would ever go to church. She was into the party scene, like doing her whole thing. She was living a life that was nothing to do with what God wanted for her. She was walking in sin and walking away from God. And her friend, Katie, invites her and says, Paige, you've got to come to camp. And so Katie invites her friend Paige to camp, and she shows up at camp. And, man, we didn't know Paige at all. She didn't know the Lord, but her friend convinced her to come. And so she came and wanted nothing to do with God, didn't believe in God, wasn't following Jesus. And here's the craziest thing. Like that weekend, there was an invitation to come follow Jesus and give her life over to Jesus. And it was the craziest thing. Paige stands up and makes that decision. She says, I want to follow Jesus. And then the next week, Paige comes back to church and she gets baptized. She becomes part of our church. She goes off to college. She meets a guy who's a believer. She gets married to him. She's still walking with Jesus to this day. See, here's the crazy thing about Paige's life. Paige was going in this direction, and the God of the universe looked at Paige just like he looked at Paul and said, I'm not done with you yet. Your story's not over. I've not given up on you. God says this to Paul. He says this to Paige, and he says this over you. The God of the universe is not done with you yet. He brought you here this weekend on purpose and for a purpose that's why he brought you here because he's not done he has a plan for your life see it goes on this way again it says so i tell you this and then it says and insist on it in the lord he insists on it in the lord i want to talk about this word the lord or these words the lord for just a second because you'll see the lord all throughout the bible and sometimes when we see the lord we think it just means god which it does it's referencing god the god of the universe who created the heavens and the earth. But here's what you need to know, that sometimes the Bible says God, and sometimes it says Lord. Because when it says Lord, it's trying to communicate something about who this God actually is. So, see, in the New Testament, the word Lord comes from this Greek word, and this is kind of like nerdy stuff, but some of you might track with it. There's a Greek word, kurios. And kurios is the word Lord. It means master. It means the one who's in charge. It means the king. But then this word, the Lord, when you see this in the Old Testament, actually comes from a Hebrew word. And it's a really beautiful Hebrew word. And the word, the Lord, in our English language, when we see that throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, is the word Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh is actually God's name. When people ask God in the Old Testament, what's your name? What should we call you? You're God. We get that you're God. But what should we call you? He says, my name is Yahweh. And you know how your name and my name and all of our names have meanings? And you kind of looked that up and you're like, what does my name mean? Well, Yahweh has a meaning too. And the name Yahweh means these words. If you're writing down notes, write this down. The word Yahweh means this, this name. It means, I am who I am. I am who I am. So here's the wild thing about the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible reveals himself as I am who I am. Which means this, that God is who he is, and you and I don't get a vote. Let me say that again. God is who he is, and you and I don't get a vote. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to go, well, God, if there was really a God, he would kind of be like this. Or I don't like that God says not to do this. Or I don't like that God seems to do this in the Bible. And I want to kind of like construct a God that feels comfortable to me. I want to construct a God who agrees with all the things I happen to think about. But here's what you need to know. God is who he is and you don't get a vote. 
God is who he is, and it's not up to popular opinion. So if I said, hey, everyone in this room, raise your hand, and we're going to vote on what God is like, God will just look down and smile and continue to be who he is. Like, like listen, God's nature, who God is, doesn't change based on how you feel about him. You can like him, you cannot like him, you can agree with him, you cannot agree with him, but God says, I am who I am, I will not change, and you do not get a vote. So the most important thing as we talk about God this weekend to know is this. You can accept him. You can reject him. You can love him. You can hate him. But you don't get to change God into something that makes sense to you. Again, when Paul says, I insist on this in the Lord, he is talking about this God who reveals himself as I am who I am. And here's the most important thing about that God. That God reveals himself to us, not through how we feel or not what we think or not how we all agree together. He reveals himself to us in the Bible. And now here's what I want you to know about the God who reveals himself in the Bible. The God of the Bible reveals himself in many different ways and in many different words. But there is one word that is the most important word about the God of the Bible. Now if I ask you the question, what's the most important word? If you can only pick one word to describe God in the Bible. I ask people this all the time, and you know what the most popular answer is? Love. And here's what I want you to know. The Bible says God is love. So there's no question that God is love, and yet that's not the central word. For some, they'd say he's all-powerful, or he's all-knowing, or he's all-present, and all of those things are true about God. But that's not the one word. The one word, the one word the Bible would use, if it only had one word to describe God, is the word holy. Holy. What we are told about the God of the Bible is that the God of the Bible is holy. It says that in heaven, the angels are crying out to God right now, holy, holy, holy. Like in other words, the one thing that all of heaven through all of eternity cannot get over is the holiness of our God. And and now here's what I mean by holiness. If you're writing down notes, write down these three things. Number one, when I say God is holy, I mean that he is utterly different. Utterly different. Utterly different means God is not like us. Like God is not just like a bigger, stronger version of me. Sometimes I'm tempted to say, well, if I was God, I would do it this way. And God smiles down at me and goes, I am who I am. And my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God is not a bigger, better version of us. He is utterly different than us, distinct from us, separate and in a different category than us. He is the creator. We are the creation. He's utterly different. Number two. Write this down. God is totally righteous. He is totally righteous. Meaning whatever God says is good and bad is good and bad. Whatever God decides to do is by definition good. God is the creator and there is no higher judge or court that we can charge him in. Whatever God says is right is right. And whatever God says is wrong is wrong. God is utterly different. He is totally righteous. And then here's the third thing about our God. When I say he is holy, it means that he is eternally glorified. Meaning, in the end, God will get the glory, God will get the praise, we will all worship him. He is the biggest, he is the greatest, he is the highest. There is nothing bigger, there is nothing better than our God. God is utterly different, he is totally righteous, he is eternally glorified, our God is holy. Our God is who he is. And you can like everything I just said, you cannot like everything I just said, but you don't get to change God because he is who he is and you don't get a vote. Again, Paul says, I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord, like in Yahweh, in this master, in this king. And then it says this, that you must no longer live 
as the Gentiles do. So, so here's kind of fascinating thing. Paul says, listen, um, I want to tell you something, and I'm going to insist on it in this Lord who is who he is. And then he starts giving out orders. And maybe you've asked yourself the question, well, who is God to tell me what to do? What if I don't want to do what God wants to do? What if I want to live my own life? What if I don't like what the Bible says about what I'm supposed to do with my life and how I'm supposed to live? See, in other words, you see these commands, you're no longer supposed to live this way. And you might have the question, who is God to tell me how to live my life? This is my life, not his. I'm going to live it however I want. And to answer that question, I want to ask you another question. Where, where did all of this come from? The trees, a little bit of snow on the ground, the lake, the sky, the dirt, the wood, everything. Where did it come from? And, and, well, and, 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 and ultimately, I'm going to have an answer to that, but so many people have told me, well, Brian, it's a result of natural processes over billions of years. Fair enough. Here's another question. Why is there something in this universe and not nothing? Like if you were an atheist who goes, well, uh, no, everything just appeared out of nothing and suddenly it was here. That takes a lot more faith. Why is there something and not nothing? And, and the Bible, and, and those of us who follow God, have a simple answer. It's the first sentence of the Bible. The first sentence of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here's what I want you to know. The reason God is allowed to command us and tell us what to do is because he created us. Because here's what you need to know. When you create something, you get to define what it is. When you create something, you get to set the rules for that something. When you are the creator, you are also the rule setter. It's like this. Um, I want you to imagine whatever social media you're on or might be on, whether that's TikTok or Instagram or MySpace or whatever you kids these days are into, all right? So listen, when you create a social media account, you go onto the social media account, you create the account. You go in, you get to say, here's my username, and here's my picture, and here's my bio, and here's the aesthetic of my grid, and here's who I follow, and here's who I don't follow. And you get to make all of these decisions about the social media account. Now, why is it that the person sitting to your left right now, or the person sitting to your right right now, doesn't get to control your social media account? And the answer is simple. They didn't make it. I can't be like, uh, you right there, I'm going to control your social media account. Why? I didn't make it, so I don't get to set the rules. And here's the most wonderful thing you need to know tonight. Eyes right here, eyes right here. You didn't create the world, so you don't get to define the world. You are not the creator of the world, so you don't get to define the world. And then don't miss this. This is so important for your lives right now. You didn't create you. So you don't get to define you. And our world right now screams at you. You just define yourself however you want. You just, whatever you feel, you say that that is your identity and that's who you are and that's how you define yourself. And the God of the universe says, I created you and I get to define you. You didn't create you. You don't get to define you. And because you didn't create the world, you don't get to make the call on what's right and wrong. God gets to make the call on what's right and wrong. Because he is the creator, and we are living in his house. It's like this. I got a buddy named Jacob. And every time I go to Jacob's house, he has this one particular rule. And I've always found it silly, but this is how he rolls in his house. I wonder if any of you do it. Jacob's house is a shoes off kind of house. Anyone else's house, like, shoes off? Like, that's a rule. In your, okay, quite a few of you. Okay. Listen, not my house. So listen, shh, shh. when I roll up to Jacob's house, and I knock on the door, and I go into Jacob's house, the first thing I do 
is I take off my shoes. Now, listen, in my house, I don't take off the shoes. I'm just, I, I, I don't, it's fine. I'm going to walk around in shoes, barefoot, doesn't matter to me. It's not a rule. But for Jacob, it's a rule. Now, I want you to imagine. I walk up to Jacob's house, knock on the door. He opens the door. I start to walk in. He goes, hey, Brian, would you mind your shoes? I want you to imagine I looked at Jacob. I was like, hey, man, um, your rules, I don't like them. Yeah, Jake, your whole rule about the shoes thing, that's cute and all, that's just not my truth, so I don't want to live by that. Well, like, Jake, I know you have this rule, but it seems kind of silly, and I don't agree with it, so I'm going to go ahead and keep my shoes on in your house. That would be ridiculous, right? That would be completely, like, bad friendship, bad way of treating him. Why? It's his house, and he gets to set the rules. And here's what you need to know. You are living in God's house, in God's creation, in God's world, and he gets to set the rules. Why is it that Paul can make commands of us in the Lord? Here's the simple reason. God created the world, so God gets to define the rules of the world. And then here's how I want you to see how it ends. It ends this way. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, now here's how we'll close tonight. I wanted to find a word up there. This word Gentiles. Now, if you grew up in church, you might have an understanding of what this is. But if you didn't grow up in church, this is a confusing word. Here's what in the ancient world they did. The ancient Jewish people defined the world in two categories of people. There were only two types of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. That was it. You were either a Jew or a Gentile. The Jews were people who were descendants biologically of Abraham. So if you were part of that bloodline, if you were part of that family, you were a Jewish person, you were part of the nation of Israel, you were a Jew. And then every, uh, literally every other person in the world was a Gentile. So according to the ancient Jewish thought, I would have been a Gentile. That's who I am. So they divided the world into Jews, the people who knew God and walked with him, and Gentiles, the people who didn't. But then here's where it gets confusing. You've got to track with me here. This is, this is where it gets confusing, but I trust that you guys can rise to this level. Sometimes, in the New Testament, Jew and Gentile was not used to describe biological descendants of Abraham and the rest of the world, but it was used to describe people who know God and walk with him and then the rest of the world. And that's what Paul's doing here. There's people who know God and walk with him and understand his promises and his commands. There's people who walk with Jesus. And then there's the rest of the world. So when Paul says, no longer live as the Gentiles do. Here's what he's saying. Don't live like the rest of the world. Stop living like the rest of the world. He says their futility of their thinking. In other words, the rest of the world thinks in a certain kind of way, and you as followers of Jesus should not think that way. Don't think just like everyone else. Don't talk just like everyone else. Don't listen to the same music as everyone else. Don't behave in the same way as everyone else. Don't be the same way everyone else is being. Instead, don't do that. Don't live that way any longer because that's not who you are. See, this is the great temptation of your life. And here's what I think. I think the God of the universe brought some of you here on purpose and for a purpose. And for some of you, the purpose this weekend is to realize that you have been living just like everyone else in the world. You've been living just like your friends, just like the rest of the world, in the way you talk, in the way you treat your parents, and the way you act, and the way you dress, and the music you listen to, and the shows you consume. You live just like everyone else. And I think the God of the universe has brought some of you here this weekend to tell you, stop 
living that way. That's not the life you have been called to. You have been called to a different kind of life. Because listen, if you live just like everyone else in the world, in the end you will come up with nothing. It will be washed away. Like, let me put it this way. So uh, this last summer, I took my kids to the beach. Uh, and I bring them out to the beach. And here's what you need to know about my children at the beach. My children go to the beach. We sit next to the ocean. And they are terrified of the ocean. They want nothing to do with the water. But you know what they want everything to do with? They want everything to do with the sand. And so my daughter, I'll show you a picture here. Last summer, she's hanging out at the beach, and she makes sandcastles. She fills up this bucket, she dumps it out, and then you know what she does? She fills it up again, and she dumps it out. And all day, for hours and hours and hours, she would sit there building sandcastles. Now i got to shoot straight with you. My daughter is not good at making sandcastles. I'm just, I, I know, I love her to pieces. I would do anything, I would die for her. But her sandcastle skills need some improvement. Her sandcastles are kind of lousy. They don't hold together. She doesn't have the right texture of the sand. It's too loose. It falls apart. She gets frustrated. That's her sandcastle building ability. But she sits on the beach, and she builds sandcastles. You want to know who else builds sandcastles? Do you know that there are world championships of sandcastle building? Where they are judged for how amazing their sandcastles. Can I show a few of those up here? Do you know that people build sandcastles like this? Do you know that people actually put together sandcastles that are so magnificent and amazing? It looks like daughters look like just a little pile of sand on the beach compared to these sandcastles. But here's what I need you to know. And this is the most important thing for you to know. We'll put that sandcastle back up there. Here's what I need you to know. There will come a day. In fact, this day is likely already come for this poor sandcastle. Where the tide will rise and the water will come up and it will wash away the sandcastle. And it will be entirely and completely gone. And whether it is this beautiful, magnificent sandcastle or my daughter's tiny, little, not-so-sandcastle, all of it will be washed away. And in the end, it will not matter what they have built because they have built their life on sand and it will get washed away. And here's what I need you to know about your life. If you choose to live just like everyone else in the world, pursuing popularity and fame and all the cool things of this world, trying to be awesome and cool and well-liked and just get pleasure for yourself, all of that will be washed away and your life will be wasted. It will be wasted. And yet, if you build your life on the solid rock of Christ, if you don't live like everyone else, if you live in such a way where you follow Jesus and say, God, this is your house, so whatever rules you set, I will live in this way, God will preserve your life and everything about your life will matter for all of eternity. See, God brought you here this weekend on purpose and for a purpose. And I think for some of you, it is to realize that you have been building sandcastles on the beach of your life that will ultimately be washed away. All the things you think are so important, the stuff you think is so cool, the stuff you pour your life into is meaningless compared to what it means for you to live a life that honors and pleases God, the Lord God of heaven, Yahweh, the God who is who he is. So here's my invitation this weekend. My invitation is to remember that God brought you here on purpose and for a purpose. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. Last thing, last thing, eyes right here. The God of the universe has something to say to you this weekend. And the only thing that matters is whether you will have the ears to hear it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight, and thank you for your word, and thank you that you brought us here on purpose, that you brought us here for a purpose, that you're not wasting our time this weekend. 
God, I pray for a young man or woman who's here and not even sure why they're here. God, I pray that you would make that clear to them of why you brought them to camp this weekend. I pray for the young man or woman who loves you and is pursuing you passionately. Would you speak a fresh word from your spirit, from your holy word, the scriptures? Would you encourage them this weekend? And then, God, I pray for the young man or woman here who's not even sure they want to follow you, not even sure they believe in you, not even sure they want to turn their life over to you. God, I pray that you would meet them just as you did me, that you would meet them in power, and that they would learn their purpose on this earth. So, God, thank you for being who you are. Help us to submit our lives to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said real loud.